Hello, and welcome to 5 at 8. I'm Mark Overman, and joining me today is Linda Carlisle. It's Thursday, October 19th, 2023, and we have some great stories for you. In this episode, we will talk about the U.S. economy's strong performance and the uncertain global political landscape leading investors to favor U.S. stocks. We'll also discuss the growing threat of Chinese espionage in Silicon Valley and the efforts to protect intellectual property. Additionally, we'll cover Russian President Vladimir Putin's response to attacks by the U.S.-made Army Tactical Missile System, Japan's increase in exports, and the financial crisis faced by China's Country Garden Empire. Stay tuned for these top news stories of the day. Story number one. According to Reuters, the U.S. economy's strong performance and the uncertain global political landscape are leading investors to favor U.S. stocks over other markets. The Atlanta Federal Reserve's estimate of U.S. economic growth is higher than China's, and geopolitical events like the Gaza crisis and the Russia-Ukraine war are adding to the uncertainty. The trend of deglobalization and a focus on secure domestic markets are leading investors to have a home bias in their investments. The U.S. is particularly attractive due to its strong economy, steady income, and deep and liquid markets. The U.S. is already the largest and most easily traded market for stocks in the world. The amount of U.S. portfolio investment overseas has decreased by almost $2 trillion since the peaks of 2021. Swiss asset manager Julius Baer's chief investment officer believes that the investment universe outside the U.S. has shrunk, making the U.S. the only option for deploying capital in size. The outperformance of U.S. assets is evidence of this. However, there are concerns about the widening U.S. deficit on its net international investment position and the potential vulnerability of the dollar. The next 12 months will also test the resilience of the U.S. democratic system and may impact the attractiveness of U.S. assets. Might be fair to say that the home is where the heart is adage is taking on a new meaning in the world of investments. Huh, Linda? We're seeing investors flock back to U.S. stocks, riding on the solid performance of the U.S. economy, despite the seemingly high valuations. Kind of a home bias resurgence, wouldn't you say? It's a fascinating trend. The U.S. economy's robust performance, coupled with the increasing global uncertainties, is making it a safer bet for investors. They seem to be prioritizing security and steady income over potential foreign gains. It's as if they're seeking a safe harbor amidst a storm. Right. And it's not just about the U.S. economy being the lesser evil, so to speak. There's just a lot going on globally that's making investors skittish. The Russia-Ukraine war, China's unpredictable behavior, it's a messy picture. The global economic and geopolitical landscape is becoming increasingly complex and unpredictable, and that's fueling this trend. Investors are naturally drawn to stability and predictability, and right now, they're finding it within their own backyard. So, what's the flip side to this, Linda? This can't all be roses, right? There must be some drawbacks or potential pitfalls we need to be aware of. Every silver lining has a cloud. While the resurgence of home bias might stimulate domestic economic growth, it could also exacerbate economic inequality. Plus, the U.S. deficit could widen, leaving it vulnerable to shocks in investor sentiment. Hmm. So it seems like a bit of a tightrope walk. Well... We'll just have to see how this plays out, won't we? I guess in uncertain times, folks are more likely to stick with what they know. And right now, what they know is home. That's a good way to put it, Mark. We're living in interesting times for sure. 
and it's crucial for investors to stay informed and make decisions that align with their risk profile and long-term goals. Story number two. According to the New York Times, FBI officials have revealed that over half of Chinese spying efforts to steal technology are focused on Silicon Valley. Intelligence leaders from the U.S. and its allies, including the FBI and Britain's MI5, gathered at Stanford University to discuss the growing threat of Chinese espionage in the technology hub. The intelligence chiefs warned that China's espionage efforts have infiltrated every aspect of national security, diplomacy, and advanced commercial technology. They urged private industry to join forces in protecting new technologies and preventing China from stealing intellectual property. The spy chiefs highlighted China's interest in Western artificial intelligence and its use of AI to enhance hacking operations. They also noted China's tactics, including hacking, pressuring Chinese students, and using informants and joint ventures with Western firms to steal critical technology. The intelligence leaders emphasized that China has changed the rules of the game and urged Western companies and universities to be vigilant. So, Linda, this Chinese spying situation in Silicon Valley is pretty intense. It's like the Wild West of espionage out there, isn't it? Yes, Mark, you could say that. The landscape of international espionage is certainly evolving. It's no longer just about physical infiltration or traditional methods of spying. Now, it's about stealing intellectual property and gaining a technological edge. Right. And it's not just the big, hulking federal buildings in Washington that are targets anymore. It's the shiny office complexes of Silicon Valley. That's a huge shift, isn't it? Indeed it is, Mark. And it's not just a shift in geographical focus. It's also a shift in the type of information that's being sought. Instead of traditional state secrets, these spies are after advanced commercial technology. They're trying to get their hands on the next big thing before it even hits the market. That's... Honestly, that's kind of terrifying. But it's not just about the tech companies protecting themselves, is it? The intelligence chiefs were making a strong case for private industry to recognize that their security interests align with the West's. That's a big ask, isn't it? It is a big ask, but it's also a necessary one. This is not just about individual companies protecting their own intellectual property. It's about safeguarding the overall technological edge of the West. It's about ensuring the continued innovation and economic growth that these technologies enable. And it seems like China is particularly interested in artificial intelligence. That's a game-changer, isn't it? Artificial intelligence is set to drive economic gains for years to come. It will revolutionize everything from intelligence collection and analysis to, well, how we live our everyday lives. China's interest in this technology is a clear indication of its potential. So what can we do about this? How can we protect our technological edge? Well, Mark, there's no easy answer to that. It's a complex problem that requires a multi-pronged approach. We need to strengthen our defenses, invest in research and development, and foster international cooperation. And most importantly, we need to raise awareness about this issue and encourage private industries to take a proactive role in safeguarding their intellectual property. Story number three. Russian President Vladimir Putin, as reported by the Washington Post, stated that Russia is capable of defending itself against further attacks by the U.S.-made Army Tactical Missile System, ATACMS. This comes after Ukraine claimed to have used these missiles to destroy Russian helicopters, ammunition, and air defense systems in occupied regions. The use of ATACMS will require Russia to disperse its aircraft and ammunition depots, potentially shifting the battlefield layout. 
Putin acknowledged the additional threat posed by Atakums, but maintained that it would not change the situation on the front line. The fighting between Russia and Ukraine has reached a stalemate, with a protracted war of attrition expected to continue. The UK Defense Ministry stated, according to the Washington Post, that Russian forces are attempting to advance in some parts of eastern Ukraine, but a major breakthrough is highly unlikely. In a recent attack, two Ukrainian civilians were killed and several others injured when a Russian missile struck a building in the city of Zaporizhia. Russia claimed to have shot down 28 Ukrainian drones, but the veracity of these claims remains unverified. Are we really surprised here, Linda? The introduction of the ATACMs into the Ukrainian arsenal is definitely a game-changer. It's a powerful deterrent against Russia's air superiority. It's like bringing a sledgehammer to a knife fight. I see where you're coming from, Mark, but I think we need to be careful about jumping to conclusions. Yes, the ATACMs is a formidable weapon, but Putin himself has stated that it won't significantly change the overall situation, and there's merit to that view. Advanced weaponry doesn't necessarily guarantee victory. It's not... It's not just about the size of the sledgehammer. It's about how you wield it. Well, I'm not so sure, Linda. Look, history has shown us that technological advances can turn the tide in conflicts. Take World War II and the atomic bomb, for example. And let's not forget about the impact drones have had in the Middle East. The ATACMs might just give Ukraine the edge it needs. I understand your point, Mark. But we can't ignore the ethical implications here. Supplying advanced weaponry to a conflict zone... It's like pouring gasoline on an already raging fire. We need to consider the potential for escalation and the risks to civilians. True, Linda, there are risks. But sometimes, to prevent a bigger fire, you need to fight fire with fire. And remember, it's Russia who started this in the first place. Yes, Mark. But that doesn't mean we should further fuel the flames. Instead of escalating the arms race, perhaps we should be focusing on diplomatic solutions and peace negotiations. After all... The ultimate goal here should be to end the conflict and restore peace, not to turn Ukraine into a battleground for advanced weaponry. Story number four. Japan's exports grew by 4.3% in September, the first increase in three months, indicating resilience in overseas markets, as reported by Reuters. Car shipments were the main driver of this growth, offsetting declines in chip-related products. However, exports to China, Japan's largest trading partner, fell by 6.2% due to weaker demand for chips and electronic parts, food, and electronic circuits. On the other hand, exports to the United States rose by 13%, led by hybrid vehicles, mining and construction machinery, and motors. The trade data also showed a 16.3% decrease in imports for September. It's fascinating, isn't it, how global events can shape the economic landscape of a country. Japan's export growth, for instance. A 4.3% rise in September, driven largely by car shipments. But it's not all peachy, with China-bound food exports taking a massive hit due to concerns about the Fukushima nuclear power plant. It's a complex web of international relations and policies at play. The China-bound food exports drop is particularly disconcerting, a staggering 58% year-on-year decline in September. It's a clear reflection of how environmental issues can spill over into economic territories. The ban on Japanese food imports is a direct result of China's concerns over the water released from the Fukushima nuclear power plant. And let's not forget the impact of demand shifts from key trading partners. The trade figures show a 6.2% drop in exports to China. That's the 10th straight month of decline. 
mainly due to weaker demand for chips, electronic parts, food, and electronic circuits. Yes, but on the flip side, U.S.-bound exports rose by 13%, led by hybrid vehicles, mining and construction machinery, and motors. It's interesting to see how the economic health and policy decisions of trading partners can significantly influence a nation's export scenario. It's like watching a real-time, global-scale economic experiment unfold. I couldn't agree more. You know, if we look at the bigger picture, the global economy is going through a turbulent phase, with the conflict in the Middle East and China's economic slowdown. Japan, being the world's third-largest economy, is bound to feel the ripples. Certainly, Mark. And it's not just about the exports. The trade data also shows a 16.3% fall in imports for the year to September. As we're seeing, global events, be it political, environmental, or economic, don't exist in isolation. They're all interlinked, and their effects can be seen, felt, and measured in multiple ways. Story number five. In a report from Reuters, it has been stated that Yong Kwok Kyung, the founder of China's Country Garden Empire, is facing a crisis as the company has reportedly defaulted on its offshore debt. Young, who came from a humble background, built Country Garden into one of China's largest property developers. He maintained a low profile and was known for his frugal lifestyle. The company's success was attributed to its focus on smaller, less popular cities in China. Young was also recognized as a philanthropist, having donated billions of yuan to education and poverty alleviation. However, Country Garden's liquidity stress has led to financial difficulties, with the company struggling to stay afloat under a large amount of debt. Despite stepping down as chairman, Jung remains involved as a special advisor to the company. Could you believe the turn of events for Jung Kwok Kyung? From a peasant to one of the most successful property developers in China, and now his Country Garden empire seems to be on the verge of defaulting on its offshore debt. It's like a roller coaster ride. Yes, Mark. It's a sobering reminder of how volatile the real estate industry can be, especially in the context of China's booming urbanization. Jung's company, Country Garden, was successful in part because it targeted underdeveloped smaller cities. By acquiring vast amounts of land from local governments at cheaper rates, he was able to build multi-purpose developments, thereby boosting local economies. Right, Linda. It's a business strategy that served him well for a time, but now it seems the tables have turned. What do you think went wrong? Well, Mark, it's a complex issue. But one of the major challenges is the massive debt that many of these real estate companies are shouldering. It's reminiscent of the situation with China Evergrande Group a few years ago. The pressure to continually expand and grow can lead to over-leveraging, which can be perilous when market dynamics shift. And amidst all this, Young seems to be showing resilience. Reports say he even loaned the company $300 million interest-free, and is trying to sell his private jets. Kind of like a captain going down with his ship, huh? That's one way to look at it, Mark. But it could also be seen as a testament to his commitment to resolving the crisis. Jung's story is as much about his rise to success as it is about his response to adversity. It also sheds light on the intricate relationships between business, politics, and philanthropy in China, which can certainly make for a riveting discussion. Sure does, Linda. There's a lot to unpack here, and no matter how the situation unfolds, it's clear that the story of Young Kwok Kong will continue to captivate many. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. 
Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.